0: Hello and welcome to another episode of AI and You. I am your host, Mark McQuaid. So, I work for Rackspace Technology and I specifically work within our data science and engineering practice, which is inside our professional services organization. I help clients every day with their data journey, as I like to call it, and their AI ML needs. Funny enough, I have no insight into how internally we are utilizing data and AI ML within our company. Of course, I know we must use our mass amounts of data to derive intelligent, decisions and predictions. After all, we are a 7,000 person global organization. I just don't know exactly how, to be honest. So the role, a fairly new role actually, of someone that oversees a company's data and AIML initiatives is the role of a chief data officer. This role has taken a lot of organizations by storm. With the mass amounts of data out there, And having a role that is responsible to oversee that data and decide how to best get the maximum value out of that data has just blown up. On today's episode, we chatted with Juan Riojas. Juan is the Chief Data Officer here at Rackspace Technology. Juan has a very unique background, where he worked extremely hard, started on the ground floor, and climbed that ladder, and now sits at one of the most prominent and well-regarded roles within our organization. It truly speaks to the fact that if you want something bad enough and you put in the work to go get it, great things will happen. All right, I'm here with Juan Riojas. Uh, Juan is the Chief Data Officer here at Rackspace, which happens to be where I work as well. Um, And yeah, so thanks for joining us today, Juan. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to this. Perfect. So, you know, before we dig into what Rackspace is doing in the world of AI uh, and data, let's talk a bit about your journey, right? How you got started and, you know, how you
1: got to where you are today. Yeah. Uh, Mine is definitely a very unconventional path. That's good. I'm I'm originally from Laredo, which is on the U.S.-Mexico border, just two hours south of San Antonio. And if you know that, I mean, that city is 100% focused on import, export, transportation, supply chain. So hence, that's kind of how I came about in my career. Um, so I started off in supply chain. I started, up, I started loading boxes onto trailers on the third shift on the weekends. I used to do that and that's, that's, what I, that's what I started with. My parents were in transportation, my grandparents were in transportation. So I just kind of just naturally went that route. But I spent the first, I would say the first 15 years of my career, all in logistics, around logistics. And I started expanding it, not just for the U.S., but also for Mexico. I started building some expertise. And I'd say that my, in my career, one of the things that I just kind of ignored and brushed to the side was I was always looking at the numbers or data. Sometimes it was just on pieces of paper, pencil, doing some math, using some stats in my head. And I was always looking at how can I use this, how can I use this space on a truck better? How can I be more efficient? so that naturally was always with me um throughout my career i wanted to do something different um than ground logistics and in 2000 in 2007 i decided to go and take a jump and and move over to to do distribution i was always ground logistics and i went into doing distribution for office max so you're just thinking like office max made the stationary stuff i mean like <laughs> in, in stores i was, no this is this was directly business to business so it was b2b it was distribution and we had to deliver say somewhere around the lines of eighty thousand packages i was based out of houston i was in charge of the south in that southeast region so what was cool about that it was i always had this like this natural ability that i always wanted to go and optimize so i was looking to see how can i make our routes more efficient how can i deliver better when i first came into that organization it was actually the worst performing region and the worst performing center and I asked the team, I was like, can we, do we have any information that can give us some insights as to all our routes, all the deliveries, anything we can find out. So we were using crystal reports back in, back in the day. And I had just read Freakonomics and Freakonomics it really is what it was like the pivotal point in my career that just changed how I looked at things, how I perceived things. And I started asking questions like, what is it? What is this information telling us? So we started looking at it and we started putting pins on a board and started saying, look, this is where all the routes are. This is where all the concentration was. So it was a very antiquated view of visualization back in the day. But then I, I said, well, I've been reading some stuff from economics and, you know, maybe you can use stats to help us out. So then I trained, we, I learned and I trained our team to actually be able to go and extract the information out of SQL. We had a database. Um, we were using JMP, some basic st- stats software. And in four and a half months, we transformed the region to being the most the best performing region, delivering ninety nine point seven percent of the packages on time. You are talking about over eighty thousand in a given week. We were able to bring jobs back. We were able to drive more efficiency. We were able to take on more, and our experience was just phenomenal. So I think that that's where my career just started transitioning a bit. I had the opportunity to go and move in two thousand eight. I moved over to the UK and I, I, I moved there in August. If you recall, the the Lehman brothers crashed in September. So I was, I was there in the worst possible time. So I didn't have a job. I was looking, I was looking for jobs in Europe. I was, I was looking to go also get enrolled into school. So I ended up starting some, some, some courses on the weekends at Cambridge. So I started going to Cambridge in the UK and I was knocking on people's doors with resumes, old school style. I was going door to door, getting my resumes. And it just so happened, I walked into Expeditors, the place I had my internship 15 years before this happened. And I walked in there and I was talking to the receptionist saying, can I speak to the HR manager there? I just wanna go and introduce myself. I don't have any experience in Europe. I have experience in the US, I have it in Mexico. I'm willing to learn. I can work for free. I just need experience. So the guy in the lobby, he heard me, and he was from Dallas. He's like, what are you doing here? Like, we're, You're by the airport in the UK, in London. And I said, I've been going door to door. I knocked on 74 people's doors, giving my resume, trying to find a job. He's like, well, come in. So we talked, and I gave him some of the, my perspectives. And he said, that, well, we have a role. It's to lead all the ground logistics for Europe, Middle East, Africa, and India. You don't have an experience, but you know, we need you to get ramped up and I think you could probably do the job. So that's kind of, I I walked in there, I learned it. Within the first month I had the most training in the entire company, 237 hours, learned a lot. And I was using information to start driving the creation of this organization. I was there for two years, but I used information to use it for pricing analytics, how we were winning on bids, how were we growing. I was using some of the historical data to start bringing, bringing, um, bringing some insights on how we can start growing the team strategically, how we can start planning the routes. And then I started buying software. So we used SaaS back in the day. Um, and we, we started looking at Enterprise Miner. We started using forecasting. So in, during the 2008 um, recession, going into 2009, I was the only organization that grew, and we grew 410% on our revenue in our first year during, during, a during a a fairly bad, bad situation with, um, with the financial crisis.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating story really, right? Because it, it speaks to, um, you know, the fact that you didn't, you know, set out necessarily to get into, you know, data and, and AI and ML, whereas, you know, your career, you know, kind of pushed you into it from an interest level right like mm-hmm. you, you picked up interest while doing other things and absolutely specifically when you're dealing with logistics right any kind of you know data or machine learning within the logistics world um, is huge right I mean yeah. you said it yourself you you looked at you know all the data you had and you said what can we do with this data and then you were able to provide value uh, you know huge amounts of value really just by, you know, having that data and doing something with it, where so many people out there have the data and they just don't know what to do with it. Right. Absolutely. So they don't know how to turn that value, uh, turn that into value, should I say. And I think one thing that's also great is, you know, from a, from an AI ML perspective in logistics, there's just so much that can be done, right. There's so much that can be done in that space. Uh, I mean, for example, we worked on a, a project a while ago where it was, um, uh, we used reinforcement learning to optimize, uh, like, uh, oil tanker routes, right? So they were, you know, randomly going to fill up these, these tankers, you know, uh, all different, say, you know, times of the week, where we perform some optimization using reinforcement learning and re- the reward system. And we were able to predict, you know, when they should actually fill out as opposed to those kind of wasted trips, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, huge space for A I M L and logistics. And it's great to see that uh, you didn't start out with that goal in mind. But you know your your
1: interest, your passion, kind of moved you into it. Hey, economics back in two thousand seven when it came out, I, I read that book, I got the bug, and my career just started progressing. That I was able to f- solve some of these problems, so it just started transitioning there. I do want to add though that I think one of the one of the key tenets right there in that career, is, one was interest, another uh, one was timing and luck, but also sponsorship, and you can and you can't negate that fact. When you have people that believe in you and they sponsor you and they say, you know what, I'm going to sponsor you for this unique opportunity and it gives you visibility towards that, that starts progressing your career and it starts accelerating it also. Yeah.
0: No, and I think that a great part of that story that you said was your drive, right? Your motivation, your passion. You were going into places and saying, I'll work for free you know, like here's a resume, like you were knocking on doors and, you know, that speaks to your passion and your drive and your ability to kind of go get it. Right. Like it's, it's not about being, you know, things being handed to you. It's about you going out and making things happen for yourself. Right. So that's really good. And, you know, I really respect anyone who's, who's out there doing that because, you know, you're taking control for yourself as opposed mm-hmm. to hoping things come to you. Right. And sometimes you have to do that. As you can see, look, look where you are now. Right. And how much that benefited you, you know, back then. So that's right. Perfect. Now, let me ask you, you know, specifically today, the world of AI, ML, right? It's mm-hmm. fascinating. It's fantastic. You know, what, where do you, you your personal interests lie in that? Like, a, you know, is it, you know, deep learning, computer vision, um, you know, is it na- natural language processing? And I, I mean, not, I'm not talking about
1: specifically what you work in. I'm talking about you just as kind of like a, you know, what you enjoy, what you like. No, for me, I think I'm fairly passionate about machine learning. Um, mm-hmm. I'm quickly picking up more interest in natural language processing. You think of AI, it's covered by three pillars, right? You have the computer vision, you have ML, you have NLP. On the ML, on the machine learning side, that's where I'm really excited about because for a long time, machine learning has existed and you've had all these models that have been built over time. They really haven't changed. It's what's changed is that people are using it in a very pragmatic way. And there's a lot of things that can be learned from that. I mean, what I'm excited about that space is just the advancements on how people are operationalizing it now in the business and people are absorbing it. Like if I think of, I, I think of my passion right now with machine learning, I'm fairly, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly engaged and I liked the unsupervised. So being able to go and transition to from supervised learning to unsupervised learning, that's phenomenal. I think that's really where the puck is heading. If I, if I look at, if I look at my interest right there, um, neural networks, that's certainly, that's my bag. I love it. There's so much practical uses of it. It you, if you demystify that and you think about it, it kind of works like the brain how to make, how to think, how to make how to make decisions. And if you do it in the right way, it's super powerful. So, I really just get caught up with that.
0: Yeah, you know, and I can 100% agree with you there and understand that because, you know, deep learning backed natural language processing, deep learning backed computer vision, that's kind of where my, you know, Passion lies, right? It's it's yeah. a, a fascinating area that I think um, is just only ex- it's, it's only going to blow up even more, right? And I mean the amount of you know from speaking from a natural language processing perspective, the amount of data that people have that need to run some kind of NLP or NLU on, I think is just it's going to explode even more than it already has exploded, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's fascinating. It's fascinating.
1: It's a fascinating world out there. Well, you think you think about it right now, like this. In this role, it keeps on it keeps on connecting more. And you have this subscription economy that keeps on keeps on expanding. All that it's and I've said it several times. Even companies right now, it's not that they're keep competing on novelty; they compete on customer experience. For you to compete on customer experience, that's when you have to start marrying machine learning, natural language processing, sometimes computer vision to go and understand that from what what is my target demographic to people walking in, walking out of a store, brick and mortar, to looking at. What are the comments? What are the what are the customers saying when they call? What are customers saying when they complain? What are people saying on the internet? Using machine learning to start thinking about, okay, I understand this process. Now how do I automate it? And how do I keep on learning from it? Mm-hmm. So it's, just, it's a fascinating time to be in this space. No,
0: absolutely, I couldn't agree more, and I could probably talk for for hours on this, but you know, I'll move on. Let's let's talk a little bit about you know life at Rackspace. So mm-hmm. you're the Chief Data Officer, right? So that is your that's your title, your role. Um, and do you know the original backstory behind the Chief Data Officer uh, title? No. Oh. So so actually, Usama uh, Fayid, who was he, he was the world's first Chief Data Officer. Okay, so he take he had taken a role within Yahoo years ago. OK, so with Yahoo and Jerry Yang, who was the founder and CEO of Yahoo at the time, um, he had a welcome to Yahoo kind of a team meet for Usama, for Right. And they were just throwing ideas around the room on what to call him. Right. From a from a title perspective. Right. And and Yahoo actually had a culture of, of odd titles. Right. That's kind of where they always did. Like, um, I believe Jerry Yang was he, he always called himself the chief Yahooer. Right. Like that's just the, you know, <laughs> that's kind of the, the weird title thing. Yeah, so so someone shouted out chief data officer, right, and and they all kind of laughed, right, like as a joke, uh, but from there, right, it actually stuck, and then you know that title, that role, you know, thousands of people are in that role now, right. But it's funny how that was not a role until kind of this meeting and this conversation and this kind of yeah. you know joke in a way and how it came about. So it's
1: actually kind of a fun backstory. That's there. So I, thought I, didn't, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Yeah. No. So so let's talk. How long have you been with Rackspace? So I've been I've been in Rackspace now for going on a year and a half. And you so, started within Rackspace as the chief data officer, is that right? Yeah. I I was I transitioned from Informatica. I had a great opportunity to join this leadership team and um, really make an impact. So I was I joined in September of 2019 as a chief data officer. And my mandate was pretty simple. Let's elevate data as a strategic asset. And it, there's it, there's a lot of buzzwords to that, but it's it's been so true right here that we've now used this as a corporate asset pervasively across the company.
0: Perfect. And from, from a look at, at what your day-to-day looks like, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, you don't have to
1: go into too much depth, but what is yeah. a typical
0: day-to-day for you as the chief data officer from within Rackspace?
1: So I would say I'm, I'm, fairly, I'm fairly tied to a lot of the details. Um, one of the things I, I push forward to understand is I wanna hear bad news quickly. So I do have a sync with the teams to understand how are we doing with the project? So that's going to be part of my day-to-day. How are we progressing? Um, one of the one of the biggest time-consuming pieces and I would say most valuable is being able, to, being able to go and see around corners. It's sense-making. Understanding understanding what's happening in the business, having a pulse, being in these conversations, and then interpreting that or translating that to the team, saying, I'm hearing this theme come across. You know what? We've probably should start thinking about A, B, and C in terms of steps. So there's a lot of seeing around corners and and aligning with the business understanding, seeking to understand that I take. Um, I do a lot, quite a bit on just understanding how are we executing. And then third is really understanding how can we support the business better? I mean, that's one of the things that I really push for. Data in itself, standalone, it really doesn't do anything unless it's used practically by the business. So really talking to the business understanding what else can we do to keep on improving the experience driving efficiency, driving transformation, um, and getting us to the next step of maturity as a company. So I would say that would be the majority of what I do.
0: No, that's great. And that's, uh, you know, it's a good kind of, you know, from, from, from a, a, the audience perspective, it's a good kind of look into what, you know, someone in that typical, you know, kind of chief data officer role, what their day-to-day looks like. So that's definitely interesting. And, and you had mentioned you took on a, the CIO role recently as well, right? So what does that kind of add into the mix of your current role?
1: So, I mean, I think of IT, you decouple it, it's information technology, the database mm-hmm. we know, but the, 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 the next piece I'm taking on is really looking at, well, how do, we, how do we run as a business? So we have all these systems and how can we drive, how can we improve or reduce friction across the company? So understanding how our systems connect and keep on integrating it. The way I see it, it it's kind of like the, I use an example the Winchester house in San Jose. Like if you don't have a good design, it's going to take 20 years to build. You have 1,000 rooms and it doesn't function. So if you can drive a good blueprint of how systems connect, then you can, make, you can reduce the friction they have in the company and make things better. Secondly, um, you think of work from home. How do we enable that and how do we drive that as an experience in this new world that we live in? It could be a hybrid world, it could be a virtual world. But really taking that and driving a better experience internally and then and then third, and something that we can negate is really on the on the security, making sure that we have the access, we have the security in place, we have the compliance, the auditing. So it's this brand new world that I wasn't exposed to I wasn't exposed to previously, mm-hmm. but it's now being it's now being congruent. And when you take when you can take a design of how our systems connect, how can we can run more efficiently? And you can now tie in the data piece to that, that's what really makes it powerful. could it's gonna be a close up cycle the data should actually inform the decisions of how we can get things to integrate and how we can make the process more efficient and improve improve the experience for our backers
0: no that's great and i mean it sounds like you're you know you're excited about the opportunity oh, to absolutely. take on that other piece yeah and hopefully you don't have to work twice as twice as much but <laughs> uh, i think
1: <laughs> there's a real good group there's a real good group that we have right there there's a, there's a great foundation everybody i would say is fairly engaged and motivated and I think yep. that what's unique is really now and what I'm excited about is now in the world of analytics and AI and data, I mean, that can really drive uh, the new modern IT organization.
0: Yeah, and I think you, you hit it there when you said motivation. I mean, um, you obviously are very motivated, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if you, your team, as you said, if they're really motivated, I think you're going to be, you know, nothing but successful. I think motivation is huge when it comes to, uh, you know, any any uh, position or role from within a company and, you know, speaking with you and getting your passion and your motivation, I think that'll only, you know, spell success really. So mm-hmm. perfect. So, so let's get over to Rackspace and AI. Okay. So talk about, let's talk a little bit about how Rackspace is using artificial intelligence internally. And the reason I say that and, and, and funny how this sounds, I work for Rackspace I work in the data science and engineering practice for Rackspace and I have no clue how Rackspace is using AI internally right? right I am solely focused on helping clients succeed in the professional services world with AI ml data right I have no idea how we're using it internally so let's and what we like to do on this show is is we like to cover real life use cases, right? We don't like just to talk about how people are are using, you know, machine learning or or deep learning for fun. We like to see how businesses are actually using it for real life use cases. So yeah,
1: let's talk a little bit about that. I'd love to hear what uh, what your thoughts are on that and how we're doing that. I think we use it in in several different ways. Um, One of the first thing, one of the first models that we implemented was on predicting churn. So like I said, it's a subscription economy. We have people that subscribe monthly. We have... Monthly recurring revenue. So one of the, one of the biggest challenges I think in this new subscription based world is how how do you mitigate churn? People leaving the company. So Rackspace was was predicated upon the fanatical experience. So one of the things that we we first did was um, we created a classification model, simple classification to understand what are the themes that we see in NPS so we used true analytics classification stats I mean ml to go and look at let's go and look at basic things to understand what are the common themes based on certain characteristics those characteristics then help start informing us on how we have to start looking and addressing some concerns with our customers so that was that's foundational and I'm, I'm leading to a bigger a, a bigger way we're using it But that classification model was the start of our AI journey at Rackspace. Mm Because when we understood the themes, we transformed all those themes and we inverted them into predicting churn. So we said, look, there's common characteristics such as um, customer experience, or there could be like, um, it could be on resolution times, responsiveness. And we took all those variables, inverted them. And said okay let's go and bring all these characteristics that we that we understand from our customer and let's see how can we use that to start driving some decisions so one to drive a better experience for our customers and then two predict based on these characteristics what is going to be what is going to be their the survival of these customers if they keep on experiencing this so based off of that and this was with fantastic support from our executive team and from the entire company we now are able to predict churn with a very high degree of accuracy, six to nine months out, but it's not just predicting it, it's the actions that you take that actually mm-hmm. make a difference. So our CEO even said, this is part of your job description to all our team. So now we use churn risk prediction to look at this, drive actions on how do we mitigate risk? And it's not a one-time thing, but how do we make it, mitigate it permanently? By understanding all the characteristics, and we've been we've been getting significantly better as a company. We understand that, and that visibility of that model, it isn't a black box anymore. And that's traditionally that's how people think of AI. It's a black box. Mm-hmm. Took that model, and we inverted that and said, these are all your characteristics. We put onto a dashboard. So now you have full visibility of all these characteristics. So if you see a lot of red, yellow, green stoplights, then you should be concerned. And the now our teams use that model and we track all the actions. And all the actions are actually tracked on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. So we look at all the actions, are they repetitive? How are we driving it? And now we're using those actions to now feed into um, our next evolution, which is on recommendation engines, which is now taking all the prediction, all the visibility, all the dashboard, all the actions, and now driving that to start recommending outcomes. As opposed to thinking about what does the customer need, we can start driving recommendations and improve that experience even more meaningfully. So that's one of the ways we're using it.
0: Yeah, no, that's great because you're you're hitting on you know as you said kind of really foundational pieces of AI, mm-hmm. right? You're hitting on customer churn. You're hitting on you know recommender systems, which are kind of those you know bread and butter you know foundational pieces of AI um, that I would probably argue every business should or could benefit from in some Absolutely. way, right? In some form or fashion, and you know you also hit on the fact that it's not just good enough to you know predict customer churn you also have to perform an action on that right you need to take it to the next level and figure out what you're going to do about it to improve it right so it's not oh, all right i've got this great model that's that's predicting you know customer churn you know and it's 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 you know x percent you know accurate but you know it's about taking the steps to better improve that churn then after the fact. So I like how you hit on that as well. Well, and and
1: I've seen that across a lot of, a lot of companies that I've worked with before, and even just talking to friends in the industry, sometimes the, the, you see data science groups and they're like, Oh, they're going to go and solve this. They're going to give us a model. And oftentimes it's just a model. Mm -hmm. But when you have executive support, when you have alignment across a business and everybody's willing to say it can't hurt, might help. Let's try it. Let's try it out. And when you can show that there's tangible results, you begin start seeing that that flywheel starts spinning. And that's actually that's a that would say that was our start. Now that that's really started um, expanding our reach in Rackspace, which which now we look at, for example, propensity to grow. We look at natural language processing for tickets, mm-hmm. and we're using this more a more uh, a more um, more advanced um, approaches, but it's all predicated upon the fact that we can use it back to the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, so, you know, looking at
0: AI from within racks, mm-hmm. from within rack space, what do you think is you know where we're lacking? Where, where could we do more from a from a world of artificial intelligence and you know integrating that into the world of Rackspace? And I know, you know, we could probably talk forever about you know certain ways Rackspace could benefit from using AI from within its business. But is there anything specific that kind of jumps out at you that you feel that we should be doing more uh, in regards to AI and Rackspace? I
1: would I would say that it's we're on that journey right now. We we've we understand our customers well. But, we, but now using the underlying data and using AI to start giving suggestions, to start associating certain themes, having that more, um, being able to go and use it as a barometer, not a thermometer. You don't wanna measure, you don't wanna see if the temperature is hot or cold. You wanna understand all, uh, what's happening beforehand. You wanna understand the pressures that are happening. So if you are able to start, to start having a sense of things that are starting to surface before they surface, I think that's where we can start pushing this a little bit further upstream right now. it's very much downstream, and we're doing all the right things and slowly we're pushing a lot more upstream to understand certain things and we can shape our our services better. We can shape our experiences better we can shape our communications better and I think that's going to be the next frontier of how we actually start using AI more pervasively within Rackspace
0: yeah absolutely, and I you know you and I can we can sync up offline and, you know, I'll, uh, I'll spit some ideas at you <laughs> on things. I think we could, do. we could use AI and, and we could benefit, uh, in some form or fashion, just because, you know, I'm, you know, that's kind of my passion is within the field of AI and you know, deep learning. And, you know, I always look at, you know, look at things and say, oh yeah, yeah. Deep learning. You, you could implement some form of deep learning in that, and it would make it better. Or, you know, you could do some natural language processing over here and it would make it better. So yeah, maybe I'll, Take it offline. I'll, I'll sync with you one time. We'll have a, we'll, we'll
1: have a little brainstorming session. It's great that now there's so much adoptions happening in this industry. That people are seeing the benefits of it and you're demystifying that stigma that AI is so difficult to go do and only a few can go do it. No, we're being extremely transparent and the business is one helping create this, so that's fantastic. Yeah, and I like how you're using the word demystifying because that's exactly what I think needs
0: to happen more, right? It's not, you know, a- using AI in your business is not just for, you know, data scientists with PhDs, right? It's uh, it's now available to be used by, you know, so many more people. There's so many tools and libraries out there that make it, that are making life, you know, simpler in that field, right? And in, in the world of AI that I think you're absolutely right. Demystifying is, is key for sure. So... You know, what is the number one piece of advice you have for someone looking to get into a career path,
1: uh, whether it be, you know, data or artificial intelligence. One is that you have to have, you have to have a a good, you have to be a storyteller. Mm -hmm. You have to know how to tell a story. That narrative is so important. Um, so being able to go and focus on your communication, synthesizing, not summarizing. I think that's probably the most important thing, translating the technical to business sense is one of the biggest tendencies you can go drive. Secondly, that curiosity, asking a question, being just seeking to learn, being able to go and break down a problem, structure, structure it. You will always find opportunities. I think of companies like IDEO that look at their, they look at how you can use design thinking for innovation will invert that and use it for problem solving. So if you can go and couple that with, with the, the gift of the narrative and you can just seek seek out people in this industry and just learn from them i think people are always willing to go ahead and share their experiences tell you how they got there and i think that's going to start helping you helping people um at least get some get a flavor of how they got and they got into this game because i think that you have those two things all you really need is structure and attitude everything else can be learned
0: yep yeah, no i agree i like that curiosity and and one thing I'll say I'll add to that is imagination. I think you you need some, some, some pretty good imagination. Do. <laughs> to, yeah. And then curiosity as well. So that's great. No, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, so, you know, another, my last question for you, right? And, and, you know, it's a little bit, you know, philosophical in a way, right? It's not, uh, you know, I, I'm not looking for a definition in any sense, but more just what jumps out at you. You know, what does AI mean for you, right? Like personally, when you hear the word artificial intelligence,
1: what jumps out at you? What does it mean to you? Uh, for me it's it's futuristic and when i see futuristic it it basically it gives you the ability to become nostradamus <laughs> in of of the galaxy galaxy and you think of like what's the answer what's the how do you what's the answer to the universe 42 right like it just it gets you it gets you it gets you to that next stage of being able to go and understand what can happen in the future and not something scary, but what you can do to go and help shape those events. So futuristic is, I think would be probably the best describer for this because you can see around corners and that it can drive so much predictability in what you have, mm. you can start anticipating things. So that's how I see it.
0: Yeah, and I like to say, I have I, said it a couple of times on the show, but I like to say that, you know, it's really, and it kind of speaks to what you were saying is that it's really about, you know, doing things that we never, Imagined we would have been able to do, really, right? And that's you know kind of speaks to what you said in futuristic, really? right? It's it's you know looking at things you know 20 years ago that we would have never never thought possible, right? So nope. uh, AI now gives us the the possibility to do those things. So futuristic is a great term, in my opinion, on how how the uh, how AI is kind of perceived. All right, Juan. Well, it's been great. It's been an absolute pre- pleasure having you on today and and teaching me uh, a Rackspace employee <laughs> who works in the data science and engineering practice from within Rackspace, how Rackspace is using AI, right? It's funny how that uh, how that works, right? So I really appreciate you coming on. And um, yeah, it was a great chat. I,
1: pre- I appreciate having me on. This is great. Thanks, Juan.
0: One thing that was mentioned by Juan, which is something Rackspace is utilizing, and I would argue that every business should be utilizing in some form or fashion, is predicting customer churn. Losing customers is costly for any business. Having the ability to identify unhappy customers early on gives you a chance to offer them incentives to stay. So me being an AWS guy, I felt it only fitting to mention being able to perform customer churn on AWS uh, using SageMaker, and it makes your life so much easier. So for anyone who doesn't know what SageMaker is, Amazon SageMaker is a machine learning service from within AWS that you can use to build, train, and deploy machine learning models. It is a one-stop shop, you know, end-to-end machine learning platform. In the SageMaker example docs, there's a great example and walkthrough for customer churn prediction with XGBoost. Uh, XGBoost is a decision tree-based ensemble machine learning algorithm that uses a, a gradient boosting framework. So you can actually go to the SageMaker example docs and you go to this specific customer churn prediction use case and run through the steps to perform a full end-to-end sample customer churn problem. You start with setting up your environment, getting some data, uh, training a customer churn model, hosting it for inference, and then evaluating the model on its performance. This really allows you to explore each step in a full stack ML problem. So for anyone interested in exploring the customer stern use case I mentioned, I strongly recommend going through this example at sagemaker-examples.readthedocs.io.